0: C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia.
1: Hello there, and thank you for being here today. Hope you're having a great afternoon. And today, we are going to be talking about shame. And this is, again, going to probably be a two-part series because there's kind of a lot of information, and we know that uh, repetition is the mother of learning. So I'm going to be repeating a lot of this because it's kind of a complicated um, topic, but it is a very relevant one, especially in our world today. So as we talk about shame, we are seeing this as a spiritual crisis. And why would we be calling shame a spiritual crisis? Because generally this concept is addressed as a psychological issue and a dilemma. And this is true. It is a very important psychological issue um, anytime we address uh, people in therapy. But what we see is that behind this very deep and profound psychological issue, it, it's actually spiritual. And a shame-based reality is a spiritual crisis that develops as a result of emotional and or physical abandonment. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the different types of abandonment, because sometimes we take it in a very concrete manner and we don't realize how abandoning we are to one another and to ourselves. So what happens is that we believe when we get this physical, emotional, spiritual abandonment, we believe that we should not exist, that we are somehow something wrong and unworthy of love. And as a result, we lose the sense of communion with others, with ourself, as well as our connection to God. And then we become isolated from all external sources of comfort. And so what happens is we feel this tremendous amount of loneliness and we don't know who we are. So we experience life as having no meaning or purpose. And we see this in the reference to shame as far back as the second chapter of Genesis. So this has been going on a long time when we, when we think about the human condition. So when Adam and Eve were their authentic selves, there was no shame. So let me say that again. When Adam and Eve were their authentic selves, they were connected to each other, to themselves and to God, and there was no shame. There was complete freedom. As soon as they betrayed themselves by going outside the bounds, engaging in self-will versus free will, and we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between self-will and free will, because free will leads us out of shame, self-will leads us into it. So we have this self-will versus three-will, and it's against God and what he has established as safe. And so there is this value system that God had established. They went outside of that. They went against it with their self-will. And then shame-based reality occurred. And whenever we have shame, we also have deep fear. And so and we see in Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Then we go to the third chapter, verse 10. And Adam answered God's call, and he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what we see is that when we go against ourselves, against God, when we abandon who we are, abandon a value system, we then experience shame. And what we want to do is we want to hide. So when God calls for you, Many times you, want to, you might want to say, I was afraid, and so I hid. I'm afraid of who I am, and so I hid. So we see this happen in relationships. That when I'm afraid of who I am, and I have a shame-based reality, I don't like who I am, I think there's something wrong with me, I think I'm bad, then I have a ton of fear about being found out, and I want to hide. So I end up doing this projection, where I project outside of myself who I think you want me to be. And then I hope that I'm going to get the love and acceptance that I need. The problem is, you're not loving and accepting the true me. With all of my foibles and imperfections, you're loving and accepting what I'm presenting to you. So as we go back to this sense of free will, we see that God gave us free will. So when we use our self-will to establish our own way, our own freedom, we then experience bondage, fear, and shame. Now, this is the way of entitlement. This is being our own God. And we do know in Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs, which is 1412, it says, There is a way that appears right to a man, but in the end leads to death. And so my self-will, going my own way, creating my own freedom, being my own God, taking matters into my own hands, may seem right, but in the end it's going to lead to death, and that is death of the authentic self. So in the next two shows, we're going to be addressing this issue. And these are the things that we're going to address. It's kind of a long list, but I promise you that we'll get to them. So we're going to address what is shame, what role it plays in our life, what is healthy shame versus unhealthy shame or toxic shame, the difference between shame and guilt, and what it means to be a shame-based individual. Then we're going to look at some causes of shame, the ways to cope with it, and lastly, most importantly, how do I heal from toxic shame? And we're gonna do uh, probably three weeks from now a show on boundaries, and this is one of the primary ways that we reclaim our authentic self and we reduce and heal sh- from shame. So when shame becomes unhealthy or toxic, it often, oftentimes, masquerades as piety, moralism, justice, hypermoralism. Actually, it's for example, it's this: I want to do it right. If I just do it right, then I'll feel good about myself. Because toxic shame is always telling us we are bad. You've done something wrong. You're defective. You need to be punished, and often relentlessly without grace or mercy. So many times we have no grace and no mercy for ourselves or for others. This is always based out of fear. As a result, we, our society, attempt to free ourselves from the bondage of legalism or hyper moralism, this performance oriented behavior. And if you know what performance-oriented behavior is, it refers to that, that attempt to get all my self-worth from how well I perform and how good I am. So you can see that if I'm in performance-oriented behavior, every day I wake up, I have to figure out if I'm going to be okay because it depends on my performance. And then it depends on how others judge my performance. So I give away a lot of power when I do this. So what happens is, I end up getting a lot of judgment, disapproval, condemnation, criticism. And then I fail to understand the grace of God. And I fail to understand that beautiful verse, Romans 8, 1, that says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that I tell clients that's very important to recognize between the difference between conviction or correction and condemnation is what happens to your faith. If I'm experiencing condemnation from others, from myself, from Satan, I want to hide. I want to run away from God. I want to go and hurry and get myself together and then represent myself to God, to others, to the world, to myself. So I get into this self-will as I'm trying to make things right. But when God is convicting me or correcting me, what happens is I feel a sense of relief. I go, oh, wow, that's right. I do need to fix that. I probably need to do that differently. I may need to apologize. I may need to, create, to uh, offer some restitution. And my faith has always increased and I always feel closer to God. So what you want to say to yourself is even if Satan is telling you the truth about your sin, he's only telling the truth to lie to you. And that's to tell you that you are unworthy and that you are unloved and that you are defective and you are inherently bad. God gives correction and conviction so that we get back on track being who we authentically are, so we enjoy ourselves and enjoy other, uh, other people. So what happens in our society, we have this kind of blowback that we may have been legalistic, hyper-moralistic, making everything a moral issue, really getting into what is right and wrong and creating a whole bunch of rules for ourselves. And so what happens is this natural rebellion. We're like, forget that. There's no way I can be perfect, so I'm not even going to try anymore. So what happens is we go to the other end of the continuum, and we begin to practice shameless or shamelessness. Now, this is certainly a very understandable rebellious move. I mean, we know how Jesus felt about legalism, but it's not a very smart antidote for all the guilt and condemnation we feel about our fallen state. The problem with this reaction is it creates its own form of bondage, especially that of fear. See, shame about oneself creates tremendous fear because what it does is it activates the sympathetic nervous system. See, if I see disapproval in your eyes and I'm shame-based, all of a sudden, I'm no longer in the prefrontal lobe, which has logic and reason and adult thinking and objectivity. I am now back in the limbic system, which is where the fight, flight, or freeze response occurs. So all of a sudden... When I'm shame-based, I have tremendous fear because everything is dangerous. Everything is critical because I might not be okay. I may not measure up. You may find out how bad I am, and then you're going to abandon me. And so, you see, shame exacerbates everything because we begin to perceive our life as dangerous. Now, not dangerous in terms of there's someone holding a gun to my head, but our emotional realm is feeling like our world is dangerous. So it's kind of like a life on crack. Everything's amplified, everything's suspect, everything's untrustworthy, everything's bad, painful, I feel very insecure. And so it counterfeits as freedom, counterfeit the ultimate freedom, that is no self-control. So it's just a different side of the same coin. The effects are still the same as being shamed or shame-based. So we're, gonna come, we're coming close to a break, so I want you to think about this idea of shame and what shame tells your internal world, and how you then re- begin to respond to the external world. And then the antidote is not shamelessness. And we see this all through our society what shamelessness does. And it gives us this false sense of freedom, when actually it is more demeaning and demoralizing to who we truly are. And so, this idea of legalism and hypermoralism and shamelessness are inauthentic and they become devoid of true humanity. So the way in which God intended for us to be humans is not to be hyper-moralistic or legalistic, and it is not to be shameless. Because what we have is these two extremes, so it's either too much or too little control. So we're going to go into the break, and I want you to come back because we're going to talk about this idea of shameless. And we even have a current television show called Shameless that I watched the teaser for. So we are going to talk about this, and this is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to talking to you after the break. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversation with Cynthia. And always you can find me on my website, which is cynthiahyatt.com. That's C I N T H I A H I E T T.com. So we're talking about this issue of shame and that it is actually a spiritual crisis. Uh, we look at it oftentimes as a psychological, emotional dilemma or crisis, but the manifestation of it or where it emanates from is in the spiritual realm. And what we talked about in the last segment is that we saw this all the way back to the second chapter of Genesis when God said that, that men and women were without shame. But when they fell, when they chose to go outside God's value system, the one that they agreed to, when they chose to not be their authentic self, and instead of using free will to be more authentic, to pursue who they really are, to pursue the goal of why they were created and to understand what the whole point is, they chose self-will, and that was to go their own way. And what happens is that ushers in shame. And all of a sudden, we have this shame-based reality that tells us there's something wrong with us and that we're bad, that we're inherently bad. It's not that we did a bad thing. It's that we now are bad. And so when we fall into this, we end up getting receiving a, a lot of fear because all of a sudden we know that there's something wrong, and we think there's something wrong inherently defective about ourselves, and oh my gosh somebody might find out what that might be and many times it's just this innocuous feeling that we have and and we may say to ourselves man if someone just tell me what I'm doing wrong I'll fix it I just don't even know what it is that I'm doing that's so bad I just feel bad so shame is this like cloak it's this dark cloak that just kind of lays on top of us and Satan loves it you have to understand So what we were talking about was that this idea that shame has occurred and creates all this fear in us, this fear of being found out, and this fear, if we are found out, we'll end up being abandoned or unloved, ends up causing this blowback that we see in our society where we're just going to not care anymore. We're just going to be shameless. We're going to not practice any self-control whatsoever. And what happens is we become more shame-based because now we are acting opposite of the beautiful created person that God has made. And we are now not living up to our full potential. What we are doing is becoming more instinctual. And so what we see is that we have a lot of humans that in their attempt to have freedom and to not be bound by all this condemnation and hyper-moralism and legalization is that they're just not going to care anymore and they're going to act however they want to act whenever they act, whenever they... Want to act that way, whoever they're with. And if you have a problem with it, then to heck with you. It's your problem. And so it ends up not giving freedom, it gives more bondage because people feel worse about themselves because they're not acting with dignity. And so that pride, that false pride, turns into entitlement. I'm entitled to my feelings, I'm entitled to act however I want. And so God is not condemning this, He really understands this condition. And, and so when we look at these, it's the same coin, just a different side. So we either have this hyper control where we're trying to put everybody in a box and we're trying to say this is what is the right way. When we know that Jesus said he came to free us from the law and he only gave us two, that we are to love the Lord God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all that is within us. We are to love our neighbors ourselves. That is the law. So we are trying to get away from this hyper-legalism where there are so many rules and regulations in our churches, in our country, in our relationships, so many unrealistic expectations that we go to the other end of the extreme, which is no control. So we're completely out of control. And so we either have too much or too little. So what happens is relationships suffer. Intimacy is nearly impossible because of the lack of authenticity and humility and the tone and the mood that both of these states create makes freedom nearly impossible to experience. If you've ever been around out-of-control people, you know how uncomfortable you are. And you know how difficult it is to try to have intimacy. They're not safe because they're unchecked. They could go off at any moment. They could say anything. They could expose you. They, and so there is this feeling of insecurity. And what happens when we are shameless, we now lack vision. And we know that what God tells us is that when, people lack, when the people lack vision, they perish. Or without vision, the people lack restraint, which is another um, translation. I think it's the uh, NAS. And so what we have here is that if, if I have no vision for my future, then I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I shall die. So it doesn't really matter what I do. And so I am then without restraint which always diminishes my self-worth, my self-respect, and my dignity. So this lack of self-respect then manifests as pride and entitlement. And this type of pride is shallow and a very fragile attempt at dignity. So pride in and of itself is not bad. You have to remember, it's important we have pride as a virtue. And it's based in our authentic self-worth. So when pride is paradoxically paired with a low sense of self-worth, it becomes vain, fragile, and self-serving. See, the opposite is seen in Christ's life. He was very proud of who he was. So his actions personified this. He did not apologize for who he was, and he never betrayed who he was with bad behaviors and attitudes that did not match his authentic self. So we see tremendous dignity he possessed as those around him never losing sight of who he was and why he was there, humiliated him relentlessly. So pride without, without authenticity is a lack of self-worth because the beautiful created human has lost dignity. And lastly, both ends of the continuum, that legalism or shamelessness results in a disconnect from God, not a lack of love from God, but an inability to experience him. So what we're looking at here is this idea of shame tells me I've done a bad thing. I mean, guilt tells me I've done a bad thing. Shame tells me I am bad. So we see this as a spiritual crisis. And what we are understanding is that this is because it created a separation or a disconnect from their own authenticity, their connection to God, their creator. So instead of feeling guilty about what they did, they felt bad about who they were. This is important to understand. Instead of feeling guilty about what they did, they felt bad about who they were. So what God did was he introduced a covering, and that's the sacrifice of life, the shedding of blood, and he covered who they were as humans and dealt with what they did, which is their behavior. So he still saw them as very valuable and lovable, very important, very redeemable. But he had to address the behavior that was not God's manifest creation. So we're going to take another break. And we are going to continue to talk about what shamelessness is, what it does to our sense of authenticity, how it is the antithesis of the authentic human, how shame manifests itself in our life, and the fear that comes with shame. And how God has a solution, God has a plan. And God covers covers us, that doesn't mean he hides or denies our fallenness, but he covers us because he knows he's working a good work with us. When people come into therapy with me, they are covered. They're not going to be exposed because they are willingly revealing themselves to me repent, and acting in a repentant state and saying something is wrong and I need to fix it. So they get the safety of privacy versus secrecy. And shame always creates secrecy authenticity covering and love provides privacy and protection this is conversations with Cynthia thank you for joining me and we are going to take a break and come back and discuss this spiritual crisis of shame Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Glad that you could join us as we talk about this issue of shame, how it affects us, and, and how it is manifesting itself in our culture. So, we talked about shame as a, a fear based reality. And when we have a shame based, fear based reality, we lose our authentic nature. And what happens is we become more shame based because we are more afraid in our interactions with one another as as we're afraid that we're going to be found out. And if you find out who I really am, you're not going to love me and you're going to abandon me. And what we talked about is God's solution for this with Adam and Eve was not to see them as unredeemable, not to stop loving them, but to cover them. And so we see in, in Romans 4, 7, I love this. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Now, covering does not mean denial, doesn't mean delusion, it doesn't mean that I'm ignoring. It means that I know that it's there, but I am separating it from the authentic person. And I'm understanding that their behavior doesn't always mean that's who they are. What we we want to, to emulate is Jesus, who is completely congruent, and his behaviors always came from who he was. So his behaviors always reflected his authentic self. Now, what God is doing with us is he's he's redeeming us, he's healing us, and he's not wanting us to act in secrecy, because shame always causes us to be secret, versus a covering provides privacy, and we see this in Genesis 9.23, when Noah, you know, did this bonehead thing, and got really drunk after the ark landed, you know, we had this big, huge miracle, and what does he do? He gets drunk. You know, this is, this is what humans do. We, we are struggling people, and you need to have a lot of compassion on yourself and one another. And so Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned away the other way so that they would not see their father naked. So this doesn't mean they denied that he got drunk. For heaven's sakes, they went and they said, oh, my goodness, this is not authentically our dad. We need to cover this so that he doesn't have more shame about the mistake that he made. And so we see that this covering provides privacy, and whereas secrets provide shame. So when we come from shame-based families with many secrets and oftentimes abuse of varying degrees and different kinds, which is one of the greatest creators of shame, we find that we like to hide. And we are not allowed privacy, so we become secretive. And what happens is we become secretive about who we are because we're afraid of who we are. We think there's something wrong with us, so I better keep it secret until I can get it figured out, work it out. Then I'm going to really tell you who I am. But what we find is the healing component happens when we disclose who we really are to a very safe person. And one of the things that happens when I come out of a shame-based reality and I'm not a shame-based person is that I become a very safe person that you are then able to disclose who you really are. So as we look at different types of shame, let's, we, we look again at what man's solution to shame is. And it's this idea of shameless or shamelessness. And it's important to look at this because it's so prevalent and seems like such a viable solution. I don't want you to become enamored or deceived into believing that this is a possible antidote for feeling bad. See, we are now proud of being shameless. This is truly anti-human. This is not God's original design. Because we are designed to be like Christ, so shameless. What this is, this means it implies a lack of modesty. It's a it's a lack of decency. It's a lack of regard for others' rights or feelings. It's insolent. It has complete audacity. It's flagrant. It's feeling no shame. It's impervious to disgrace. That certainly describes our society right now. And so we even have this shameless. TV series that I I looked up and I saw the teaser for. And it was interesting that in this, and now this is no condemnation of the show. This is just an observation as to how effective our attempts at dealing with shame are. So as as we look at this show, what we find is that there are many things about this show that are fascinating. Because it talks about this family, the Gallagher family. And it talks about, These different things that it says the Gallagher family, you know, what is it that they have? They have legal problems, family problems, relational problems, daddy issues. And they say that, you know, Gallagher's raise the bar for shamelessness. They don't just set it, they raise it. And so we have this tendency to go the opposite extreme when we're in pain. And so what we see is Satan is the one who has made a profession of shamelessness. He's full of toxic shame. Because he has lost his God-given identity. He has lost his relationship with God. And as a result, has become exceedingly prideful in his shamelessness. And Satan has now packaged it as an antidote for the way we feel about ourselves due to this condemnation. So we are going to look at the difference between healthy and toxic shame and two very effective definitions in this next section. So please join me again. This is Conversations with Cynthia. And we are going to finish up this last segment on shame with looking at definitions and the difference between a healthy shame and a toxic shame. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to talking to you soon. I hear the whispers in my Welcome back. This is Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt and I'm so glad that you joined me for this last segment. We are talking about shame as a spiritual crisis and the opposite, this boomerang or blowback that we're seeing with our society, being shameless. And and we're being shameless uh, as this way to respond to shame-based feelings. And shame-based feelings or shame-based reality tells me that I'm defective. There's something wrong with me inherently. That I'm bad. And, and I can never really put a finger on it. I might be able to identify behaviors that further reinforce this "I'm bad" feeling, but this this idea of shame comes from, and we're going to talk about this uh, next week in in more extensively, comes from uh, you know our family of origin. And, and I and I this is not a slam on our families. We all have one, and um, our families in general are really doing the best that they can. And shame is created by the way that they relate to us, the way they respond to our emotions, whether they mirror who we are. And mirroring is this concept that they're looking at us with love. They're looking at us with compassion. They're saying, oh, honey, you're feeling sad right now. And so they're helping us to know who authentically we are. So they're identifying our talents, our abilities, and they're excited about who we are. If we don't receive that, then we internalize that there's something wrong with me. My parents might not like me. They don't approve of me. Um, they don't love me unless I act in a certain way or feel a certain way. And so we end up getting some, what is called emotional abandonment and it may not be physical abandonment. We may have had certainly some neglect and some of you out there may have actually been physically abandoned, but this emotional abandonment leads to a deep sense of shame. And so what we find is that we, we have either this healthy shame or toxic shame. And in the previous um, segment there, I was talking about this, this TV series now called Shameless. And I was watching the teaser for it. And they were saying the Gallaghers, you know, and this family. And what is it about the Gallaghers? Well, they have family problems, legal problems, relational problems. Um, you know, it goes on to say that they, they amp it up every time. So if they're shameless, they're going to even raise the bar and be more shameless and And they 're basically out of control they're act, they 're acting um, on instinct and when when we simply act on instinct and we just live in the moment with no vision, we become less than human we become we 're working out of the more reptilian part of our brain um, we 're not in the prefrontal lobe that has logic and reason and is more adult and we lose that authenticity about the wonder of of humans and their ability to think about themselves and to have consciousness and to say, why am I here? What's the point? Why was I created? I want to leave a mark on this world that is meaningful. So what what we have here is this, this inability to distinguish between healthy shame and toxic shame. And so what I want you to think about is healthy shame, that's that shame that tells me I'm going too far, that says, you know, you may want to scale back a little bit. Um, it tells me that, you know, don't walk out of your house without clothes on and Sadly, we we seem to have this problem even now in our society, and this is not. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but we have people that that aren't taking care of themselves, that aren't dressing when they go to the store. That you know, they, they just are. It's just not caring. And what that reveals to me is how shame based they may feel, and how much they they don't have dignity anymore. They've lost that. They don't care for themselves. And so, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to increase our self love. And I'm not saying about you know, this egocentric type. I'm talking about true self-care that is caring for me the way God cares for me. That I'm the primary caregiver here. God lives within me. There's a temple in me. And and is he seeing me care about his very precious child? So we're going to look at two different definitions as a way to understand toxic shame. So what we have is the appropriate thing is that guilt says I've done something bad, and we want to have guilt. We want to have a conscience. Um, people without a conscience are psychopaths, sociopaths. They are very dangerous people. So we want to have active guilt that tells me, you know, that that probably wasn't appropriate. That probably was insensitive. That might be thoughtless. I might have have actually crossed a moral boundary, like one of the Ten Commandments. And I may need to make some restitution. I may need to apologize. I may need to, need to repent. I may need to ask God to help me with some, some ongoing behaviors. You know, maybe they're addictions, maybe it's anger, maybe it's uh, compulsive behavior, spending, sex addictions, these types of things. These active, ongoing behaviors that usually are indicative of shame. And so I want to present those to God. I want to present them to a safe person. And I want to, I want to work through stopping those behaviors, realizing that those behaviors are not the authentic person. So we have guilt that says I've done something bad versus shame says I am bad. And that's a huge distinction to make because God doesn't say that. He says we're fallen. He says we can be wicked. He says, you know, our mind is in enmity with him, but he always sees us as lovable, redeemable, wanted and very, very valuable. And he shows us that with Christ. That Christ was the ultimate covering. He lost his life, he shed his blood to cover our sin so that we could reclaim our authenticity. So what we, the second kind of definition I want you to think about is, in the case of a shame-based identity, it isn't that we feel shame about doing bad things. Rather, we believe that we ourselves are bad. Now please remember, God loves his creation. He does not think it is bad, worthless, disgusting, unredeemable. And, and at the same time, he's not delusional. He's not in, in denial about the seriousness of the fall, and how very serious this difference between our authentic humanity and the way that we're acting, and how the gulf between that. And part of having Christ in our life is that Christ brings congruency. Christ helps to close that gap so that my behaviors, my thoughts, my attitudes, my choices become congruent to who I am, which is one that is Christ-like. So we need to see guilt as a gift from God because guilt keeps us safe from doing things that will harm us and others, as well as it acts as an indicator that keeps us from doing shameful things that cause us to fall into condemnation and then separate us from ourselves, others, and God. So I want you to think about that. Guilt is a gift from God. It is not intended to condemn us. It is intended as an indicator. So when you look at the indicator lights on your car, then it tells you, hey, you're running out of gas. We don't want to ignore that, because if you run out of gas, you could actually run out of gas in in traffic, create wrecks and crashes, not get to your appointment on time, cause another person upset, or, or inconvenience or or uh, chaos. And so we want to see these indicators of guilt, and we don't want to silence those. What we have in our society is that we mix up guilt and, and toxic shame, and so we turn off that indicator of guilt. And we act more shameful and we increase our feelings of shame and defect because inherently we know this isn't what, what, what decent, authentic, dignified humans act like. And if you've ever been around a human that is in check, that's on their own program, that observes themselves, that, that, you know, critiques what they're doing and, 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 is constantly negotiating where they are in space and time and relationship. They're very comfortable people to be with, and they're very enjoyable to be with. And generally, when you're with someone that is in charge of themselves, that is managing themselves, you feel very safe, and you generally feel better about yourself as well. So what God is wanting is for us to be in charge of us, to be managing us well. Not to be guilting ourselves to the point that we feel so badly about ourselves we turn off that guilt indicator light. So what we want to, to understand is that toxic shame, that is a gift from the enemy. That's a gift from Satan. And that's the one that keeps on giving. Long after the behavior was done or experienced from someone else. That tells us we're defective, we're worthless, we're bad. And it encourages us to continue in shameful behaviors as a pain reliever. And to further ignore the pain of guilt, because all of a sudden the pain of guilt is increasing our shame. Which then causes chronic harm of ourself and others. And it continues to increase that separation from ourself, that emotional abandonment that I now do to myself. And as I emotionally abandon myself, I'm going to emotionally abandon others as well. So what we want to think about when we're looking at this toxic shame that keeps on giving, one of the most imperative things that I want to leave you with today is understanding that the number one cause of shame is abuse. Because abuse is kind of like contagious. It's kind of like cooties. Once somebody does something abusive to you, people inherently integrate that abuse and think it's them. And their paradigm or their life view or the way they see themselves as others, and others, is based on that abuse. It's like, I'm now bad. Because what we unconsciously believe is that if I was good, if I was valuable, if I was worthwhile, if I was lovable, nobody would harm me. Why would they do that to me? So I must somehow deserve it. And of course, we know intellectually as adults, that can't be true. But that childlike part of us always sees it as themselves. They always take responsibility for what is done to them and they think it's their fault. And so that childlike part of us integrates abuse and says, wow, I must be a really bad person because bad things happen to me. And so it's imperative that we realize that abuse is something that we need to give back. If we integrate it and take it in, we now own it. And God has never intended for us to own abuse this is something that is done to us and we give it back to the abuser. And and many of you, if there's, if there's been an abuse in your life and all of us haven't incurred some form of abuse because the world is a very difficult place to live in. But this is something that if you're struggling with, it's, it's imperative that you get some professional help because this is a very difficult thing to overcome. And it goes very deep into the core of our being. And so we see that Satan loves the abuse of people. And this is one of the reasons that he gets to children as soon as he can. Because if he can abuse a child, then they grow up with toxic shame. And it's kind of like an automatic deduction in our emotional bank account. He just keeps deducting. And he doesn't even have to do anything anymore because we begin to do our own self-abuse by the way we think, by the way we act, by the way we talk about ourselves, and then by how we treat other people. So we encourage that shame and that abuse. So we're going to look at two different causes of shame. We have the, we have shame that originates from the outside. And this is what happens from the day that we are born because we learn to be shame based people. If you've ever been around infants or toddlers, they have no shame. They just feel what they feel. They say what they say. They act in, in very creative, very, they're openly affectionate. They are very authentic humans. And so when we come from shame-based families and all of us are going to have some degree of this because this is the society that we live in. We're going to, they're going to because they're struggling with their own their own sense of defect that this abuse emanates in in a spiritual manner, emotional, physical, sexual, intellectual. And so when we have this kind of abuse, especially abandonment, then what happens is we become that shame-based person. We integrate The bad things that happen to us we think are our fault. We think we deserve them. We think that we encourage them. And we think that if we were a better person, they wouldn't have happened to us. And we carry that into adulthood. So the other way that we get shame is inside. So it starts outside of us. We learn it. And then we keep it going inside of us. And that is by the way we talk to ourselves, by the way we feel about ourselves, the way we judge ourselves, the way we condemn ourselves. And it also has a lot to do with the way we care for ourselves. Because you see, neglect of a person is extremely shaming. And what we have as adults is we have this whole society of adults that either do the hyper care, which looks like care, but actually is just trying to get their self-esteem from how they look. Or we have complete neglect and abandonment of our own self. And we don't care for ourselves physically. We don't care for ourselves emotionally, spiritually. So join me next week. We're going to finish Shame as a Spiritual Crisis. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me and have a great week.
0: We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.